All right, if you turn to James 5, continuing the study of everyday faith. And as we get to James 5, there's, it kind of is one of the uneasy topics, right? Finances. We all love that, right? When that, when that comes up. But it's another step in what James is talking about, everyday faith. How many of you would just say you never are concerned about your finances? I'm not going to say worry, because that becomes sin, right? But concerned. I, I'm always concerned, right? Even this morning on the way to the church this morning, we stopped and got gas, and there was a gas station I was planning on go to, and it was more than I thought it was going to be, so I did a U-turn and went on, and Logan said to me, why, why aren't we going to get gas there? And I said, well, it's more than I wanted to pay, and he said, would they take all your money? <laughs> and I'm like, well, yeah, they would, right? But Reagan's immediate response is, well, Jesus always provides for us. And I'm like, wow, the faith of a child, right? My response is, yeah, that's seven cents more than I wanted to pay, so I'm going to go save 77 cents down the street. But I do, right, because I'm concerned about my finances. We're, we're going to St. George right after this for vacation. and My thought is we, we have a Prius, gets 50 miles a gallon, and our van gets 20 miles a gallon. Which one should we take, right? Well, obviously we're going to take the van because I love my wife, and my sanctification is much better <laughs> with my kids not smashed in the backseat of a tiny little Prius so we're taking the van uh, for this. But I'm always thinking, what, okay, how can we save money? It's just how my mind works. But it can come to the point where I'm totally concerned about finances. And so James really addresses this. This is a part of our real life, how we handle our finances. James 5 is a little bit unique from the rest of this passage, or the rest of the, rest of the book, and that the people addressed are you rich. Normally, as we've been taught through the last eight weeks, it's brothers talking to the believers. But here in James chapter 5, he mentions them as you rich. I believe these rich people are unbelievers. There's three reasons we look at this. First of all, is that he doesn't refer to them as brothers, as I just mentioned. Second of all, there is no call to repentance in this passage. We'll look about that in a little more detail in a second. And thirdly, there's a similar rebuke here as was done in the Old Testament as well. So the people he is referring to is you rich, not actual believers. But there is an indirect commendation or even a rebuke to the believers that the book is addressed to. So even though he's talking to the rich, he really isn't directly speaking to the people who are reading this book. The rich would likely never read this book, never had it read to them. But as he's addressing the rich here, he's also speaking to the church. And how do we handle our finances? John Calvin said this about this passage. James has a regard to the faithful that they hearing of the miserable end of the rich might not envy their fortune, and also that knowing that God would be the avenger of the wrong they suffered, they might with a calm and resigned mind bear them. That speaks to what the, the, first, the six verses we'll look at today, but also the next passage we'll look at next week as well. And the thought is, well, they have all the money, right? And they control everything. But James says, no, this is not the way your life is to be as a believer. The gospel has changed you. It's transformed everything about you, and it also transformed in how you use your finances. So keep that in mind as he's addressing the rich. He's also speaking indirectly to the believers here. And that happens all the time, doesn't it? Teachers do that. Where they're addressing one person, but they're also speaking to the larger group of people. Or, or as parents, we do that. We're speaking to one child, and the rest of the kids are hearing at the same time. I'm, I'm the youngest of four in my family. My parents wanted three kids. I'm four. That tells you something about it, right? I, I am the unplanned child. I always said I'm the unwanted child. I mean, my birthday card a couple weeks ago said, happy birthday to our unplanned child, 
all right? They're always reminding me, I'm not unwanted, I'm unplanned, right? And the more I realize it, it's because my brother was number three, all right? And my brother got it in trouble all the time. And as my brothers, I was always being taught and being rebuked and being disciplined, who heard of that? I did, right? He's getting all the punishment, but I'm also saying, I don't want to do that. And so I realized they wanted one more child because they had my brother at number three. But I also realized, hey, this is speaking to me. I'm not getting all the disciplines, and my self-righteousness kicked in, though, right? But I'm also hearing the rebuke to him, but I'm also hearing it as well. So we, we do this all the time. And James does the saying, I'm addressing the rich, but the church who's reading this, listen. Listen to what's happening, what's going on here. Lucas talked about this a couple of weeks ago. We are the richest people to ever walk this world, right? As Americans, we have so much money. We had a family over last night um, from our kid's school, and he served in Iraq, and he said, you know, living in Peru, did that really change your view of how much money we have in America? And it's absolutely. I grew up in Peru for 10 years, and people are very poor, and we have so much money. If you make more than $50,000 a year, you are in the 1% who's ever walked this world. Do you know the international poverty line is $1.95 a day? And over 600 million people in the world live under that. But we as Americans make way, way more than that. So this warning, as we read it today, fits very appropriately to us as Americans, where we can become so enamored in the money and the materialism that we have that often we forget what we have, but also then we're tempted to think that our trust comes in what we have in our, in our finances. Is being rich a sin? lot is shaking heads, no. And I agree with you. First Timothy 6, Paul outlines by, by the Spirit's help. He says there in verse 8, being content with food and clothing, that's all we need. The very next verse says, though, the problem and the sin comes in when the desire to become rich is there. With food and clothing, with this, we should be content. But then, when the desire to get more and more and more comes in, that is when sin comes in. But then, it's really interesting, a few verses later, he addresses the rich. But he doesn't tell them they're sinning. He just says simply, you are rich. God has, in his will, decided to make you rich, and you have money. So that's not sin. But the desire to become rich, that is when sin enters. James, or 1 Timothy 6, is very clear through that, walking through the desire is there, that is when sin enters. But being rich in itself is not a sin. But being rich comes with its difficulties. And we see that all throughout the New Testament, especially when it comes to living a genuine Christian life, which is what James is addressing to his believers. As they're undergoing trials, we've seen so many different things. This is when you're going through difficulties, we're tempted to think in this way. But you've been changed by the gospel, so think this way. And then he addresses one that hits us hard, right? And that's our finances. How do we handle them? as people who have been changed by the gospel. Alistair Begg says this, James is showing his readers the absolute folly of setting high value on wealth, of envying these rich oppressors, and feverishly trying to obtain what others have. He puts it very succinctly there for the six verses we'll look at here this morning. So be warned of the dangers of riches. Six verses here, we'll look at five thoughts. And first of all, first is trust and riches leads to eternal judgment. As he addresses you rich, he says there in verse 1, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. 
So he's saying to them, trust in riches leads to eternal judgment. If your life is about materialism and not Christ, you will be judged with eternal death. These rich people that he is addressing in this book have almost an arrogance about their money. They have so much of it, and so there's no need to trust in God at all. There's no dependence on God because they have money to throw at any issue they have. But James writes to make clear that the rich don't have it made. They are really the ones who should be groaning for the impending doom that is coming on them. And here's where we see that these rich are not believers. Daniel taught a couple of weeks ago on verse 9 and 10 of chapter 4. It says, Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter return to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. In that passage, there is a call to repentance. But in this passage here, there is no call to repentance at all. These rich people think they have it made. But he says, you don't understand. There's, there's judgment coming to you. There's no trust in God in your life. There's an arrogance against God th- saying, I have all the money. What need is there for God? So how would this affect the readers of this book? These believers in this version were undergoing trials, and they would be tempted to think, if I simply had money, all my problems would go away. Look at the rich people. They have it made, or so they thought. All the money in the world they had, any trial comes, I can then basically pay it off. And their thought was, I'm looking at the rich and thinking, if I simply had their money, everything would go away. But what James says in chapter 1 is that not your money takes it away, it is your hope and your trust in God. Ask God for wisdom when you're undergoing these trials. Don't ask God for more money to undergo those trials. Ask God for wisdom, and he will help you. It's a stern warning to people who call themselves Christians. Is my faith truly in God or in my possessions? And as Americans, we can buy our way out of a lot of trials, can't we? You simply think, well, I have money, so anything that something comes up, I will just buy my way out of it, right? But James is total opposite. Don't look at the people who are rich and desire that. Put your trust in God. When trials come, what do I turn to? God or my possessions? A few weeks ago, we went through quite the uh, ordeal with our house. Um, about a month ago, we, we got home from the prayer and praise night from community group, put the garage door down, and it felt like the garage door was going to fall on top of us. We thought, what in the world is that noise? That's not normal. I'm not the greatest DIY guy at all. And I, but I knew that sound is not supposed to happen from our garage door. So the guy came the next day and said, yeah, your door actually snapped. It snapped in and back out. And he said, you need a new garage door. So I thought, okay, there goes that money. So we paid him there. Then like three days later, Laura calls me as I'm driving home. And she says, you're not going to believe this, which is not what you want to hear from your spouse, right? But she says, I just got hit by water from a light in the upstairs. And I thought, mm, that's, that's great. I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but water and electricity, not the greatest things. So I went up in the roof, and there was a hole in the roof wasn't supposed to be there, and as it poured rain, God was very kind and allowed to come where it did, came down through a light, it hit Laura at the right time, as she walked under it, thankfully, and so we fixed that, and I thought, okay, this is great, and then a couple of weeks ago, I was outside putting the kids' bikes away, and I saw this pipe on the outside of my house I've never seen before, and there's water coming out of it, not the smartest guy in the world again, and I thought, well, what's on the other side of that wall? I go on the other side of the wall, it's the garage, there's nothing there, and I kind of let it go, <laughs> Smart, right? (laughs) 
So then two days later, I go up to put salt in our softener on our second floor, and I look at the pan that's holding our hot water heater, and what's in there? Water. And I thought, oh, yeah, that's where that water's dripping all the way outside. Thankfully, it didn't explode, right? But the water trickled down outside. So I called a guy, and I said, I think it just needs a, a flush. And he's like, no, you need a whole new water heater. So he got get out his ca- calculator. I hate when they do this. And they're punching in numbers, da 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 this is what you owe us. And I'm like, oh, man. And I thought, man, how many things can happen to our house in three weeks? Super expensive, Right? I mean, our son broke his leg, and as soon as we walk into the hospital in, in July, all I see is, do, is dollar signs, right? I'm like, we are on the other side of the country, and he breaks his leg, we got to get him back. And I think, what's going to get me through this? A trial that God brings in my life. God is kind in giving us money to be able to simply pay Venmo accounts and write checks to repair these things. But it hit me, what if we didn't have that money? Does my trust in God waver as a result of that? As Americans, we can simply pay off our trials. But God says, no, don't think about that. Put your trust in me. Ask God for wisdom. Don't simply ask God for, for, for money. And as these people who are oppressed are thinking through this, they're thinking, well, I'm looking at the rich and saying they have all the money in the world. They have no cares in the world, seemingly. But James says, don't look at them. Their trust is fully in their riches but their doom is coming. There's eternal judgment coming to them because their, their trust and their hope is not in the gospel. It's in their finances. Second of all, confidence in riches leads to unfulfilled expectations. Look at verse 2 and 3. It says, Your riches have, have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidenced against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. What they thought would gain them life leads to death. Their treasure is laid up, but in hell, not in heaven. Riches in those days were looked at in three specific areas. First of all, in food, which he says here, your riches have rotted. Then in expensive clothing, he says your garments are moth-eaten. And in precious metals, your gold and your silver have corroded. The rich thought that their possessions would always be available to, to them. And James says, no, it's all going away. It's all going to go away. Now, back in May, Laura and I went to Rome for our anniversary, and it's, it's a fascinating city. We love history, so that's really neat to see that. But right next to the Colosseum is the Roman Forum, where the richest of the rich live. And people compare them to us as Americans. Had no concerns in the world, had so much money. But it's really interesting, as you walk through the Roman Forum, Rome has burned down three times. And as they're excavating things, they realize they have these huge houses and they find materialism in there, but it's all gone. And those Roman people always thought, we will have all of this. We're rich. We're the richest people on the, in the world. But then fire would come and destroy it. And what did the next Roman civilization do? They just put sand on top of it and start over again. So Rome is like a 30-foot deep city. And you see at the very, very bottom, these people who were filthy rich, it's all gone. Totally gone. I'm sure they thought, we're going to have all of our riches for forever. We're, we're, we're the Romans. We're the top of civilization. But it's all gone now. These rich people's confidence is found in their wallet, but they don't realize the foolishness in such thinking. 
Turn to Matthew 6. This passage is very closely connected to what Jesus says in Matthew 6. Could I have someone read verses 19 through 21? Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay, we almost see almost the exact opposite of what Jesus says here played out in Matthew or in, in James chapter 5. He says, you're laying up your treasure in these last days, but they're laying it up for their own self, right? He says, everything is going to be destroyed, but now you're keeping it for yourself. You're, you're thinking, I can keep this. These rich people laid up the treasure on earth without thought of death or of impending judgment. They expected to always live in luxury, but their riches would all go away and their soul would be eternally condemned. So how is he indirectly warning the believers? The possessions we have will never satisfy. As Americans, does that hit us? We're so easily, we think, this will satisfy me if I simply have this. The Apple Store is a good example of that, right? They're always putting that out. Get the newest phone. This will satisfy you until six months later. And the next phone comes out, right? We are, we are taught in our country to think that way. Be satisfied with what you have. But James says it's the opposite. Jesus is the only true satisfaction in laying up treasures for his sake. That is what truly counts. So we do throw money at our church. That will bring us satisfaction because Christ wants that, not in our material possessions. And let's be honest, we live not only in a country that is incredibly materialistic, but we also live in a state that is incredibly materialistic. We see all around us people who want one more thing so that I feel more content because that will bring me happiness if I have this boat because my neighbor got this boat. And it's so easy to get sucked into this Utah mentality of having stuff for satisfaction, but it doesn't satisfy. Only Christ can do that. And James says to these people, you have been changed by the gospel. Your life is totally different. So don't look at the rich and think that this will satisfy you. It doesn't. Only Christ can bring you true satisfaction. Thirdly, unjust use of riches leads to the abuse of power. And I will add, which will not go unnoticed. God has an incredible concern for the poor. He's written out throughout his law. In the Mosaic Law, we see how he included several ways that the covenant people would care for those around them who were less fortunate. And the people abused that, and the prophets, and even Jesus comes in and speaks to them, saying, you, I wrote this in the law, but yet you have gone against those who are poor, and you've held it, held it out against them. I mean, he provided specific ways to help the poor. In Leviticus 23, 22, he says, to leave the corners of these fields open for the poor to come in. And we see that played out specifically in the life of Ruth where that happens for them. But another way he allowed it to happen was for the rich to hire people to come in and work the fields and, and pay them their wages. But we see the exact opposite here in verse 4. It says, Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. He says to them, you are doing the exact opposite of what I commanded you. You rich, you know what I have said. These are likely Jewish rich people there, and they've hired people to come in to their, 
their fields and to work for them. And Deuteronomy 24, 14 and 15 speaks specifically about this. Is do not pay them after the sun goes down. Do it before because they have absolute need of that money. They are the poor and you've hired them. So give them what is their due. And yet these rich people in James 5 are having people come and work for them, the poor to come work for them. They then work, but he says there, you've defrauded them. You haven't paid them. And because they had more money when they would then go to courts, they had more money for better representation, and then they would, they, they would win those court cases. And the poor people would go away without any money. But what's interesting is he says here, God hears it. The Lord of hosts hears it. The God who has almighty armies, he hears it, and he will not allow it to go unpunished. But you rich, you have done wrong by these poor people. Unjust use of riches leads to abuse of power. How does that happen in our life today? How do we unjustly use what we have to abuse power? What does our country equate with power? Money. Pretty much anyone in Congress today is not dirt poor, right? They have money, so they get elevated positions of power. So we equate with, well, if you have money, you're going to absolutely, you're going to have power. And, but often that is so quickly abused, right? That can creep into, into the mind of the church. I have money or I give money to the church, so I will have power inside of that church. It should never, ever happen that way. Laura and I experienced that in a church where the, the people who gave a lot of money, they got mad, and immediately the church changed for, for the, that couple. That church is destroyed now because of that one instance of thing. And they will stop giving, so we got to change everything. No, it changed everything, and for the bad. That use of money was abused inside the church. should never be that way. But James says these rich people are doing that. They have their money, they're using it unjustly, and they're abusing their power as a result of that. Fourthly, misuse of riches leads to certain death. Very similar to, to our, our first point. Misusing what God has provided and material possessions will prove that one's heart was never changed by the gospel. He says in verse 5 there, You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. He compares them to dumb cows. Have you ever looked at a cow in a field and thought, does he realize what's coming? (laughs) What's a cow thinking when he's eating all the grass? I'm becoming a, becoming a better version of myself, right? All he's becoming is a better steak, right? <laughs> and he compares them. He says, you basically are this, right? You're fattening yourself up by living in this way. But the day of slaughter is coming. Your judgment is coming. You abused your wealth again. And it's a misuse of their wealth. These rich people lived in luxury, thought they were becoming better and better and better because they were accumulating wealth. But he says, no. Judgment's right around the corner. You didn't even realize it's coming for you. You were living in luxury and in self-indulgence. I looked at a few, I just typed into Google, rich people's misuses of wealth. And you get a lot of stuff that come up, right? Lionel Messi, probably the greatest soccer player alive today, bought a home but hated his neighbors. So what did he do? He bought their house. So he has no neighbors, Right? Mike Tyson, not the brightest man on earth, right? Spent $535,000 training and caring for three tigers. And when he realized that, that didn't work, he sold them 
and then bought a $2.2 million golden bathtub for his, for his family. That's self-indulgence, right? Gilbert Arenas, the basketball player, spends 65, or spends $6,500 a month caring for his pet sharks. And every car wash he gets is $675. It's ridiculous, right? Absolutely ridiculous. An abuse and misuse of wealth. From what I understand, none of those people know Christ, and they are literally living in self-indulgence without realizing there is judgment coming. Full judgment coming for them. This is the type of extravagant living that James is condemning. All this does is lead to certain death. But as Christians, we have to be careful of this mindset. So easily we get wrapped up in, well, if I have this or I have that, and we become self-indulgent. If our lives have been changed by the gospel, we should never be guilty of this. The gospel radically transforms everything, including the use of, of our money. Rather than use our possessions for the care of others and the advancement of the gospel, we often use it for self. Nick talked about that at the very end, right? It's about me. But we've been reminded in the last several weeks of God doesn't bless us for ourselves. He blesses us to bless other people. We get so caught up in living for riches that we forget the gospel that has changed us. We aren't saved to serve self. We are saved to live for and serve Christ and to follow what he has told us to do. And what's interesting, going back to that First Timothy 6 passage, he says to them, you rich, in a, in a fine way, you're not sinning, but you are to do good in laying up treasures for the day that is to come. So rather than misusing them and abusing them that would lead to death, he actually used them for life, the life you were to gain. Fifthly, quickly, abuse of riches leads to the mistreatment of others. The way in which we use possessions God has given to us has real repercussions in the lives of others. It says there in verse 6, you have condemned, you have murdered the righteous person, he does not resist you. And it ends with that. No call for repentance. He just simply says, this is the charge against you. You've condemned them. You have murdered them. They weren't even trying to resist you. You go back to what we looked at in verse 4. He says, they're working for you. But then you're dragging them to courts. And because you have more money and you have better representation, these people are condemned and you're murdering them. This can be seen in, in either two ways. You can literally take them to the court and they are then condemned, and you put them to death. These rich people wanted no one to get close to their money, and they would do whatever it took to make sure no one impeded on it. So they would drag them to courts, which is similar to what we see in James chapter 1 about the rich people. He says, you are murdering this people. But you also can see it in the sense of not actual putting them to death, but also not paying them their wages. They don't have money to eat, and so they die, and that blood is still on their hands. He says, you are condemned because of that. You are condemning them but you are the ones who are condemned. You've, you've abused your riches, and it's led to the mistreatment of other people. There's irony in this, though, because the rich were the ones abusing the Christians, yet the Christians were the ones giving preferential treatment to the ones, the, the, the rich people there in James chapter 2. He's like, what are you doing? These are the ones who are going against you, who are dragging you into courts, and you say, I want to be just like them. Why? And what would their answer be? They got the money. I, I'm, I'm tired of being abused. If, if I simply had money, I'd be fine. 
But James says, no, the gospel has changed you. Don't think that way. These rich people are condemned. They're going to be judged. Don't think that way. But so isn't we thinking of that mindset, well, this is not going well for me. It's going well for those rich people. If I simply had that, I would be fine. But James says, no, don't think that way. Your people have been changed by the gospel. Think differently. Again, God hasn't blessed us to abuse our riches and to mistreat others. He's blessed us to bless other people. Lucas talked about that two weeks ago, and that has been resonating in my mind over and over and over again. As a church, if God gives us that property, he's not saying, well, this is for your little kingdom, right? It is to bless other people through this, right? It's not just for us here at Gospel Hope Church, but it's for the kingdom. If he gives us money as believers, it's not for us to simply hoard. It's to bless other people. He says, you look at the rich. This is what they're doing with it. They get it, and they hoard it. Anyone anyone gets close to it, they then go against them and make sure they're condemned and and killed. But you are people who have been changed by the gospel. God blesses you to bless other people. How do we abuse our riches to the mistreatment of other people? I'll let you think about that for a second. How How do we do that? We have so much, but how do we mistreat others with that? We have a budget item as a family that's called miscellaneous, and in that is out-to-eat money or other stuff that's just for our, for our enjoyment. But there's a, a line item in there that goes to an comp- organization called Show Hope. It's uh, an, an orphanage organization run by, by, by Christians. And so that immediately eats up part of that miscellaneous category every single month. Well, our kids are getting older, so they eat more, so we can't go out to eat as much, right? So that miscellaneous item comes down, right? Logan eats a ton now, so we think, okay, what in the world's going to be like when he's 15? <laughs> and so our thought was, okay, how, you know, we don't get to go out to eat as much as we, as we used to. It's not as fun. Show Hope wasn't doing the greatest job in giving us our receipts. And our thought, my thought, I won't blame Laura, my thought was, well, maybe we'll just take that money and use it for miscellaneous. Then it hit me. I am literally taking money from orphans, <laughs> right? So that my pleasure and my family's pleasure can go out to eat one more time that month. Wow, right? It shows you the depravity that's in our mind. Think, I will take away from these poor children so we can go to Chili's one more time this month. We abuse our riches to the mistreatment of others without even thinking about it. Thankfully, God gives grace. And he's merciful, and he quickly changed my mind. We were talking about this week, and I thought, that was a bad part of my life, right? And I'm thinking, those poor orphans don't eat anything. We need to go to Chili's one more time this month, right? But we do that. We have so much, and yet we abuse it to the mistreatment of other people. God has blessed us to bless others. So as James writes here, he says to them, you're going through trials, but don't think that your riches are going to get you out of it. Trust in God. Hope in God. Ask God for wisdom. Don't ask God for more money. Ask God for wisdom. But this hits us, right? As people who are rich, who have so much money, we, we simply think, well, we're fine. When trials come, we can throw money at it. We're okay. But James reminds, reminds them, you are people who have been changed by the gospel. You brought nothing to your salvation. Rich or poor, we were headed directly to an eternity without God. But God in his grace reached down, opened our eyes to the truth, 
and turned our life upside down for the better. The gospel is not a one-time event, right? The gospel transforms our life and continues to transform our life, including in how we handle our resources. So three things as we finish up. Ask God to use the Spirit to convict where needed in the use of our money, to guide in how we use our money, and to help us to live generously. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that you use your word to convict us where we are. Lord, we are people who walk on this earth where billions of people have walked, yet we have so much. And yet we are so tempted to hoard so much more for ourselves. And Lord, we compare ourselves, we look at people around us and think, well, they have much more. They must have it made. They have an easy life. But Lord, if their trust is not in, in you, there is eternal judgment coming. We are people who have been cleared from judgment because of Christ. But Lord, may you continue to reform and, and, and change and renew our thinking to recognize that all that we have is from you. It's not our work that gets it. It's simply from you. You have given us the ability even to work. And Lord, the money that we get and that we have from you, may we use it as wise stewards, as people who have been changed by the gospel. And may, as we look at how we handle our finances, may it be shaped by the gospel. Maybe we're willing to give to our church generously and above so that your kingdom is established. Lord, convict us when we need that. We are people who live in a country who we see the total opposite of the way you would have us to do this, but may you use the Spirit to change our minds. And may what we, how we handle our money, what we do with it, may it be shaped by the gospel. In Christ's name I pray, amen.